0: Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward DeSalle and Arthur is still traveling in Jamaica. He's currently sleeping on the porch of a Rastafarian from last I heard, so uh, I'm flying solo again today. But today we have Mary Taylor from Mary Taylor Wines joining us. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks. We've been sitting here for a few minutes chatting about all your wines and it's been pretty fun so far. You guys are in for a wild ride.
1: All right. I can't so, wait.
0: We always start every episode off, Mary, with um, one question is, what did you have to drink last night? You've been in Indy for a couple of days now.
1: <laughs> That's a good question. All right, <laughs> A little let's bit see. of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. We were way too sober at what, 730 when we met a beholder with yeah. my distributor. Let's see. We started with, we definitely had a bottle of Alberino from Do Ferreira, which they import, which is awesome. It was delicious. But oh, I had a mezcal margarita. Mm. But I can't tell you the type of mezcal because I'm not really, I mean, I love mezcal, but I'm not a geek about it. Like sure. I am about wine. And then I had some.
0: Well, when you get a, some mezcales that are in cocktails, a lot of times I think you often see uh, the Del Magay Vida because it's affordable and you don't feel so bad about not sipping it neat. You know, you, right? You, yeah. You can put some other stuff in there.
1: It feels like mezcal and like fresh lime juice is just like a perfect. It's
0: match made in heaven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it doesn't make you feel terrible.
0: No, absolutely not. Yeah. You're not like gin. There's, it's no secret to listeners of the show that we're obsessed with mezcal oh, and me mi- and me rum, but. Um, Absolutely, right. but you know, um wait, wait, unfortunately, I didn't finish. Oh my gosh, you had more.
1: I had to, uh, Calvados uh, from Br- Br- what is their uh, Brissac, is it? The d- Domaine de Brissac. Mm-hmm. And then a little Amaro. Oh the ch- the China. China. I oh, nice. Okay, then that was it. <laughs> Are you
0: sure? Are you sure? <laughs> so
1: that was it. I, I might have wanted one more, but I didn't have one.
0: <laughs> you're, you're pretty bright-eyed for having had several <laughs> drinks last night. Why not? Um, well, yeah, you were telling me about before you flew into Indianapolis mm-hmm. and all the all the cocktails you had, gin cocktails before, or no, it was wine before you flew into Indy. Well, we then- had
1: a we do BYO at Woos Wonton King, and it's these huge tables, you can 12 people to a table, and they have nice glassware, and there's no corkage fee, and their food is amazing. They have like a crab they bring out that's still, like, wiggling on the plate. And um, Where's this place at? uh, It's in Lower East Side, New York. Okay, Lower East Side?
0: Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm going to have to come crash your place here when it gets a little warmer. I have a nice (laughs) couch. But we have been sitting here tasting through some of your wines. But, man, you have got, like... You're like who I want to be when I grow up, even though you're younger than I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Only by a year. You've
0: done so much stuff. Um, it gives me hope because my brain goes in every direction all the time, which is why I, like. I have restaurants that have nothing to do with each other. And I have a podcast it's and amazing. I do all these other things. Um, so I'm like, yeah, there's hope for me in the future. Um, <laughs> But I mean, how did you get started in the wine business? I mean, this had to have started somewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, people look at my brand and they say, oh, how can I do something like that? And I say, well, why don't you spend 30 years (laughs) suffering (laughs) and you'll figure it out. You know, Um, I think that being exposed to things is just the most powerful thing you can do. And it's not a matter of like lucking in. It's a matter of just being out there and. So like when I was in high school, I was a dishwasher and that led to being a caterer and I was in people's kitchens and I, you know, my mother raised us on McDonald's and like sloppy joes and I needed to get out and get saved by local chefs and, you know, food became this like thing that separated me from my like, you know, annoying, horrible family and who I love dearly, believe me. but so then I worked uh, seasonally at the Concord Cheese Shop in Massachusetts, where I'm from, and this is the most cool. Like, they, they just had a crucolo parade. Um, they have a parade through town now to celebrate the new, like, vintage of crucolo, which is a cheese from uh, Sicily or Sardinia. I can't remember. Um, So they cut this huge wheel. I mean, it's the coolest, it's most European store in Massachusetts you can think of. And so I was a cheesemonger, and I I monged, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to know Terroir, and I had this one big insight that stayed with me throughout my whole career, which was there there are, like, thousands of names of cheese, and a lot of typical consumers, like, you know, Betty and George Smith, can tell you about brie and camembert and cheddar and 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 yet the input there's one input it's cow milk, so um, and goat milk you know there's all these names of goat milk but with wine, I mean I'm jumping ahead but this is the big insight well with wine you have everyone's calling it Pinot Noir or Merlot and it's just an input, so if you we did this to cheese all the cheese would be called cow milk cheese, how boring is that?
0: No, that speaks a lot to what you are where you've ended up. Yeah, but. So, so you'd leapt from the cheese world to the wine world, and I actually have, have read interviews with you. Didn't you, like, the, the aha bottle was like a bottle that your boyfriend had brought back, some Opus? Or, which boyfriend? Oh, yeah. I, no. yeah, yeah. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> be specific. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I have no boyfriend and two cats, which is actually a strangely a fabulous place to be. Um, no, well, we would, you know, I worked fine dining. I worked at the Boston Harbor Hotel. I did all kinds of fine dining in Boston, and... Uh, and I suddenly got this job with Ellie Wiesel, the Nobel Laureate, um, and it, wow. the job was to manage his office in New York. And there's a whole bunch of details that led to getting that job, but I said yes. And I moved there on September 4th, 2001. Oh my
0: God, really? Yeah. A week before 9-11. Yeah.
1: And I went down to that Brooks Brothers right next to the Trade Center, and I was like trying on a skirt. And I remember the lady told me I had whatever I was wearing on backwards. and. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. And like, so lo and behold, the trade center falls down and like, there's like death everywhere. And there's something about living through that, like gelled me to New York. Like I, I wasn't going back to Boston. And the job with Ellie Wiesel didn't last very long. Um, he was... Like he wanted some a personal assistant and I am not a good personal assistant. I didn't know that Cipriani had five locations and I didn't know how to order the right I was just I'm not that person, you know. I never get my nails done and like they were all about their appointments and their hair and the nail and no. Mm. So so I leave there and I um and I go to Sotheby's. I get a job at Sotheby's and I got the job because they said, what kind of wine do you like to drink? And I said, oh, I really like a bottle of Opus One, not knowing anything except that my boyfriend brought home a bottle of Opus One (laughs) from his restaurant. I think he might have stolen it. I hate to confess that. I I won't say his name. and we drank it over. Oh, we already the, talked
0: about this. We throw people under the bus all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we drank this bottle of Opus One like, over the course of three hours. Well, we looked at the stars. We thought it was the most spiritual and magical thing because it was like a $150 bottle of wine. Um, and so that was how I got the job at Sotheby's. Um, and I can go on. I mean, it was... Staring I, up at the
0: stars might have had something to do with it as well. Yeah. We often say on the show where people come back from Italy or France and they're like, oh, my God, I had just the most amazing bottle of wine in Tuscany. or it's like, no, you oh. didn't. You were in fucking Tuscany. Like, exactly. any bottle of wine you would have had would have been amazing because exactly. you were in an amazing environment. Unlike, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's for, that's for neophytes, you know. <laughs> I was just in Umbria for two weeks, and there was, like, at dinner, the wine was, like, Help! So I started calling wineries to bring in reinforcements because I needed something of quality. It was like something out of a box, and I had a headache every morning. But, you know, you don't you, always get that experience. you
0: so fancy. You
1: know, whatever. Um, I was living in a castle. Uh, but so, yeah, Sotheby's, I worked there for just under a year. I got fired um, because I didn't leave, like, the right voicemail. They hated me. I didn't have fancy clothes. They were paying me $28,000 a year. And people that were also being paid at that, like— under poverty line level, we're walking in with Jimmy Choo's and like talking about where they had dinner last night. And, uh, I, I had to give up my East village apartment where I, I only just lived on a couch. So it wasn't like I was styling (laughs) to like this, like cramped like community, like thing in uh, Queens. So I went through hell, you know, I, um, I was poor then and I was poor for a long time after that. Um, Shall I keep going?
0: Yeah. I want to hear. Like, this is interesting because, I mean, you started a wine society during all of this. Oh, yeah. Leg, didn't you, you? read up
1: on me. I,
0: I know a few things about you. Okay. <laughs> all right. But I mean, and that included, I mean, you didn't just, you know, hang, you haven't been just hanging around in New York waiting to like start your own wine label. I mean, you spent time living in Burgundy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a trust. Oh, ooh, I almost spilled my wine. Oh my god, <laughs> um, I don't have a trust fund. Um, I this is all blood, sweat, and tears. So, um, yeah, at one level, I worked for Acker Merrill. I knew Rudy Kerner for a little bit. That poor guy, who I think is doing like 15 years in prison for defrauding the Koch brothers. <laughs> yeah. You know about this?
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's—I re- mean, Michael Cohen defrauds the entire country and gets three years, and this mm-hmm. poor guy makes a couple of fake bottles and gets 15 years—I mean, come on. Um, I think
0: the Koch brothers can afford to be defrauded. No,
1: well, fuck them. They Yay. suck. Um, but so, uh, what did I do? Okay, so where am I? I'm at Acker Merrill for a little bit, and then I opened a wine retail shop in Lower Manhattan. Yeah, oh, right on. We actually took an old fish market. So the fish market—I don't know if you ever visited it in those days. I mean, you might have. Um, Not so much. No. So down lower Manhattan, it was like um, where the fish market was, was Mm -hmm. it was like the old oyster Bay's, Sure. And um, people would just get knifed down there. I mean, it was like way back when it was the old like drinking part of town. Really dangerous. All the fancy stuff was uptown by then. But so when the fish market was kicked out of the Lower East Side or um, down like by Wall Street. Uh, It was moved up to the Bronx and all these like kind of smelly buildings were left, you know, empty. And so this guy um, who was awful and I can just whatever, but um, (laughs) found me um, behind the goat cheese counter of Whole Foods, a little interim gig I had for a second. Um, And he realized I was talented and he asked me to open his wine shop. So I opened a wine shop and I learned all about getting licensed and point of sale software and ordering. And then I learned about all of the distributors, which... Everyone's complains like, oh, in Indianapolis, there's like 25 distributors and I'm sorry, in New York, there's 500. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Every
1: like Tom, Dick and Harry is like banging on your door every day. You know,
0: it's a a kind of double-sided coin. Like we complain and I'm on the opposite side. I do not complain that there are too many distributors because I don't think there's enough. That's my complaint, right, is there's not enough because when, you know, when I am lobbying to get a new product into our market, you know, I'm... To talk with the importers or producers and I mean they have like seven options and right. you know and you're like well who's going to give it the most attention who's actually going to bother listening to me um, yeah. but yeah obviously there's the other side of that coin as well where it's like oh. just you know, have to take constant appointments to taste 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 yeah. as well
1: and I keep hearing new companies are coming like I heard Johnson Brothers from the Midwest is coming into New York and I was like oh okay like welcome to bottom of the totem pole like good luck um but then again I will say whoever wakes up and knocks on doors and gets in front of people and follows up and is organized and has good product and knows their stuff is going to win it doesn't matter who you work for and what like fancy company you're with I mean there's only one company I think that is like always going to get business because they're amazing and they can just stay in bed all day is Rosenthal I just think <laughs> Rosenthal's <laughs> awesome <laughs> um but other than them, like, I think everybody else has to, like, wake up and do their job. And if they're not, it's just whoever's doing it better will win the business.
0: So you, I mean, you, you're working in a wine shop. You, you, at some point, moved to France and yeah. spent time. Is that just, like, uh, no. screw it? I'm going to, like,
1: okay, who I'm just going to take a vacation.
0: Right Please, I no. mean, not a vacation, but, <laughs> I mean, like, well. just take like a break, <laughs> I guess is what I meant. I've like,
1: been to France once um, when I was 20. Oh when, oh, when I got fired from Sotheby's and I was Oh, that's when you were there. Thank okay. God. Um, I, that was my first time going to France. It was 2003. I was so poor, I slept on the beach with this Scottish guy in Corsica, like on a sheet. Like, <laughs> we didn't even get a hotel. Like, uh, it was. But oh, a great revelation moment. I bought a bottle of wine in Corsica for one euro. And it was good. Like, it wasn't shitty. It was actually, like, I'd been. It by wasn't then,
0: sleeping on a beach good. It by, was, like, actual good. By then,
1: I'd been, like, selling Rumier and Rousseau. Sure. And, like, I knew my wine. So we were like, this is really good for one euro. And I thought, well, why is it so precious in America? Like, why can't you get a good bottle for under $15? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just all just insipid crap. So. Um, so, oh no. So then later. So that was two thousand three, and that was the heat wave, and I lived in Bordeaux with this woman, and and so that was oh three. But so no, fast forward, and the wine shop I'm working at. So I'm I'm invited to dinner because all the auction people I'd met, like I knew all these hedge fund dudes up on Park Avenue, who, you know, maybe they were being a little creepy, maybe I wasn't interpreting correctly, but I was like the pre- one of the like two pretty girls that would be at the dinner. But it wasn't because we were pretty. It was because we knew the shit out of, like, we could blind taste, like, anybody, and we, I, like, would nail stuff all the time, like, this must be a 1997 Poulinie Montrachet from, you know, so it was just fun to have some diversity, like, all those guys, like, in a circle, jerk, no, you need a little bit of diversity, and so I was able to provide that, and I was often invited to, like, these Park Avenue dinners, and one night I was there, and I was sitting next to um, two people on one side and the other side, and they both kind of had a, I don't know, I guess I... I don't know, I guess I was hot when I was younger, but um, they had a thing and they they were, they both, whatever. So I ended up falling head over heels for this French winemaker. Maybe it was his accent. (laughs) He was okay. Um, David Croix of Domaine de Croix and Camille Giroux. Um, He was one of Becky Wasserman's like mentees or proteges. And so that was the whole story. I
0: mean, <laughs> ask me
1: anything you want. I wish
0: we had, like, the, the camera here, You're like, with the, the look on your face, like, and so yeah. there was that. Yeah, that was that thing. Yeah. But, I mean, well, you've touched on it, and now I'm going to fast forward way All ahead. Because now you've got your, your uh, uh, wine label, and yeah. you—because you had talked about it. You were talking about why can't I get these $1, you know— um, one euro, I'm sorry, not one one dollar. One euro wines in, in the United States, and I, and there is man, there's really big disparity. Like affordable wines, I always call them like supermarket wines, right? I mean, yeah. like it has you know cartoon characters and dancing friggin' kangaroos and bears, and it's it's just all cartoon characters and stuff and right. pictures and of cake and yeah, people buy it because it's cake, not intimidating. Yeah. Cake pictures. <laughs> and I like looking at your labels. They feel a little old world, but they don't feel intimidating. And you. It. You're all about, like, all the, all the bottlings. Now, you are not yourself a winemaker. In fact, you said something earlier that I really, really loved. Because it. Um, in my earlier incarnation of my business, I was um, really reaching for journalism work. And I, when I interviewed with Newsweek, I had made it through three levels of interviews. Wow. Um, for a photo editing position there. And the final interview was with the art director, and he was intimidating as fuck. This just, like, really staunch British guy. And he said you're not really a photographer. And I said, no, I'm not a photographer. And he said, then why the hell do you think you can be a photo editor? Wow. And I was like, Ugh! and I, get, I went on this like 15 minute long, like, well, I feel like you get really attached to things. You get this emotional at- attachment to photographs and things like that when you're the one that made it or you know how it was made. You know, you had to hang off of a cliff to get this. Maybe it's not the one that you really need, but you know how hard it was to get. But you said something very similar. It was like, you're a taster not a winemaker and that's where I saw my role in like the journalism and photography world was like I didn't make the photos but I could judge them I thought a little bit more objectively because I wasn't the one that made them I didn't have any emotional connection to like oh that was a real tough year it's like is it good is it not good that's all I care about
1: I definitely think these are my children in ways Yeah, and certainly like I'm a little worried about the next vintage of Bordeaux Rouge we'll see Um, I think it's tasting okay but it's greener than 15? I mean, that's just a vintage thing, you know? Um, Will the public like it as much as the 15? You know, thank God I have another couple containers of 15 left to go, so... Well,
0: your wines, you... What's really interesting, and I I hope that what you're doing spreads. I hope this idea spreads because...
1: Well, don't copy me, please. we talk? Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: But like some previous employers. Um, yeah,
1: like two of my previous employers.
0: But it's the um, kind of really getting, pushing out the terroir and the wine growers uh, and putting that on the labels or yeah, wine well, growers. I would love to grow wine on trees. Sorry. <laughs> the growers. Um, they end up making wine and such, but yeah. you, you've got your name on the bottom as kind of, I don't know, what role do you see yourself?
1: I, I put a signature on the bottle and it was after um, I knew I had a great idea. I needed to figure out how to brand it. I actually met with a guy at Ogilvy who was a friend of a friend and we sat down and we went through like well I wanted to call it the white label because it's just the white label wine you know mm-hmm. and but you know I don't know if you've heard of Dewar's white label like it's not mm-hmm. available that's not an available name so uh, we went through a whole bunch of different ideas and um, and he was like look you're all about authenticity. You're all about transparency. You tell people the grower. You tell people the place it comes from. It, you know, there's nothing you're hiding. It's nothing about being like a jumping caterpillar or something on the label. So <laughs> Jumping you? caterpillar. I'm gonna, I don't Yeah, I'm stealing. I'm making a new <laughs> yeah, wine. please do. I'm going to undercut you yeah, by $2. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, why don't you just put your name? And then another thing happened where, you know, former employers of mine um, or former business partners, like, just couldn't let go of my label design and it was so successful. So I finally just put my name on the front. I was actually a partner before in a wholesale company for New York, New Jersey, Connecticut and I didn't put my name on the title of the company, which was a huge learning experience because uh-huh. nobody knew I was a partner. And so when we broke up, my, my you know, scorned, jealous business partner went around and said, oh, she was just my employee.
0: And oh. I would actually
1: built and created the company. So nobody knew. It was like, I should have had my name on the company.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, w- what I was alluding to, uh, as again, I, I love your label so much, but it's the terroir. You're constantly talking about the terroir of like all of the things that are on, on underneath yeah. you know, the umbrella of Mary Taylor. And I know that we talk about it a lot on the show because it's the scariest word I find for our listeners that are outside of the industry because we kind of have like a mix of listeners. And so we're always talking about that sense of place, um, whether it becomes like talking about the climate, obviously the growing conditions, the soil, but also like the winemaker and what they bring to the table and like all of that going into terroir. Yeah. And I love that like that's your real emphasis and ho- that's why I would say I hope that part of it really spreads instead of just like throwing that varietal Yeah, constantly and big, the brand
1: and the private label right. and no, um, no insight into where it comes from or who grew it. Yeah. Right. Um, I actually have this kind of complaint and I, I blame fine wine world. So I think there's two worlds in wine. There's mass market wine and there's fine wine, but there's no bridge between them. Like all the, like the barefoot, yellowtail, Home Apothic, is it called, uh, Woodbridge world. And by the way, what do you notice that's missing in all the, like the top mass market brands? What's missing? Europe. Oh, yeah. Europe invented wine. Absolutely. And they're not in, represented in the top new world selling wines.
0: So how do, what, how do you attack that? I mean, how do you bridge that and still put quality wine in the glass? Like, how do you find producers that you where you can get affordable?
1: Well, I'm pretty good at finding producers just because I did it for so long. I actually, like, I we skipped over those, like, when we broke, me and the French guy broke up, and I was sad, and I went back to New York, and I partnered with somebody and built a distribution company. And then I, three years later, I got a buyout, um, and a breakup. And, <laughs> a buyout
0: and, a breakup. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and then I, uh, and then I worked for a company for four years and I knew that they weren't, they were not going to support me. It was like something about the way I'm so independent. I just scared the shit out of male bosses so, or partners or whatever. So I knew I needed to just do it on my own, but I didn't, I knew I didn't know a lot. So I actually got myself an MBA. I went to NYU and got an MBA. Yes, I did. Uh huh. And I paid for it myself. Um, and now I'm in debt.
0: But. <laughs> Welcome to the rest of us. I was like, that journalism degree is really paying off here with this free downloaded podcast with no sponsors. <laughs> That's
1: wrong. All right. When I sell 20 million bottles, I'll do something for
0: You'll you. You'll be our first sponsor.
1: Um, well, so, yeah, so I. I had an insight about brand. Like Americans need brands. They do. They can't just look at a wall of. I mean, there's so many good values in twelve ninety nine and European wine, like Muscadet, and um, there's like all kinds of different, you know, Sangioveses and Umbrian wine. Like, have you ever had a Trebbiano uh, Spoletino? Mmm. Mm. I mean, a good one is like. Rah! And like, but there's so many bad, like I just was in Orvieto and it was so many bad Orvietos, but then I found a really good one and I'm we're we're going to work together. So like, this is so Oh great. really? That's cool. Yeah. And it's my new feminist labeling. Cause I'm, I give credit to some grower that's in the vineyard. It's not usually the commercial name of the estate. And so, um, my valence is Sophie Seadu. She's the wife of the guy whose name is on the, the like commercial estate. But she's out there working in the vineyard and gets no credit, so I, my grower name is Sophie Ciadu. So I was
0: going to ask that. So yeah. on all of these, you said you've got the growers listed here, So, yeah. but they are not necessarily the people going, doing the vinification.
1: Um, well, John Mark Berthas, they all have their own story. So okay. John Mark Barthes is the president of a co-op.
0: Gotcha. And okay.
1: everyone's like, ooh, I hate co-ops. And it's like, go fuck yourself. I don't have $38 <laughs> to buy your wine. Like, I like co-ops because I, if you can... Co-ops can actually, there's like a whole um, culture of sustainability and and organics going on in this co-op. Everybody supports each other. If all of those individual families vinified and bottled and labeled and marketed their own thing, it would just be like that much more confusing. It would be that much worse for the environment. That many more labels and chemicals and printers and glue and you know, I mean, they grow grapes and sell their grapes to the co-op, and the co-op like uh, certifies the quality of the fruit, and then they all work together in making the product. You know, I think that's, I mean, to keep the price low. I mean, my Bordeaux are selling for like twelve ninety nine.
0: That's incredible because yeah, uh, your know, other options have cartoon characters on the labels, and so yeah. like I mean, every we tasted through this whole line a little bit earlier. And I was like, I'd be. This yeah. is. I would totally love to give this to my guests as they come over, so they don't dip into my, you know, <laughs> right. my Grand Cru Riesling. Exactly. <laughs> you know, when There's my mom comes over, she doesn't that. need my uh, so, like, Weinbach. Like, nobody
1: needs your Oh, I need your. <laughs> like, right. Box. I what don't are I you have any air. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my event ends at like nine o'clock, I'll be over. <laughs> Um But so, I I'm like kind of extending a hand out of fine wine world and grabbing into mass market world, you know, and. Actually, my I, I love my main distributor. They're really cute and amazing and small and new, and our product is, like, their number one go-to. Um, but they said, oh, we'll never sell wine to Hannaford, which is the big, like, I don't know. What, what's your grocery store? It's, like, um, Kroger or something? Yeah,
0: we've got, yeah, a couple, but it's Kroger like would Kroger, probably be the biggest. You know?
1: And I was like, why not? Like, why not give everybody an option like chance to buy these wines wherever you can and like be, let's be commercial about it but also these wines aren't made in like douche this is not vuvambal okay de- maybe delete that one uh, <laughs> like this is not like there's no airplane sprayed pesticides there's no like boardroom there's no science guys in white coats lab you know i mean yeah they do actually lab tests but um which is good um but you know i mean these are these are like i'm starting with a Duro that's my next wine. I'm mm. really excited about it. Well, you don't have the and on this table yet. So. No, we do not. Wine number six, about to be released, is a Douro. So the Douro is in North Portugal. I've been there in Portugal on two extremely extensive wine trips. And I found that um, there is such good fruit coming from there. And the winemaking is incredible. The vines are, like, hundreds of years old. The dry red wines are, like, the best value in wine. It's, like blows Napa. The quality of Napa can just take a backseat. Sorry, Napa, but you know you always get the front seat. Um, but they can take a backseat for a second. I think that Portugal has some incredible stuff, like depth and age and nuance and texture. It's so good. But I had a really um, high-end, quote-unquote, duro the other night. It was like 50 bucks. And it was full of oak and it was like, ugh, you know, I want to actually get to right to the fruit. So my wines really get to the fruit. They skip the like modern techniques. Like I always tell people my Bordeaux tastes like if Montaigne went to the town square and filled his jug in the 16th century, that's what my Bordeaux tastes like. Just think about that. So, how do
0: you find all these producers? I mean, you you said you're getting ready to introduce. A We've got yeah. well, the Valencià we don't have here on the table yet. But I mean, you and you mentioned something something Italian. I can't remember what we.
1: Orvieto.
0: Well, oh, yeah, the Orvieto, right? Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, all these things. How do you run into these people? I mean, you said you were just hanging out in Orvieto, right? That was like kind of a by chance situation because um, you were like, all this wine's not good enough. We need something better. Is yeah. That well, you,
1: actually, I, we went to. Um, Monterque, it's a little village in Umbria to with I was on a food tour. I know it's kind of with a bunch of older you know women professors. This is a side college. note. Yeah, I
0: think people don't pay attention and I've given him a shout out several times. But food tours are fucking amazing as I long know. as you do your research and and make sure that they're just not getting a little under the table. Like, hey, bring people here. Like, my, what, my friend Kenny runs Eating Europe food tours mm. in uh, Amsterdam, London, uh, Prague, and Rome. Fun. And I think he's in Florence now, too. And I met him right after he first started the company. We went on one of his food tours. So I was like, well, at least I'll be able to grab my bearings and, yeah. like, Rome, and that way I won't get lost as far as food. And then we can just figure everything else out. And he's become a friend of the show, or a friend of mine.
1: What's the name again?
0: It's, uh, well, it's now Eating Europe food eating tours. Eating Europe? <laughs> yeah, it used to be Eating Italy food tours, but okay. then he expanded beyond Rome. But that's how I got introduced to Stacho and Trastevere oh. in Rome. Because like, yeah. nobody was hanging, their tourists were not hanging in those neighborhoods when he started up the company. But he also had to convince kind of these older Italians to like do a little thing with them because... How did he find them? Um, there it, it was just places that he liked to go. Um, so, the, you know, there was a... He always tells a story about, um, I think it's... I think a guy's names Armandino that owns Gioletti and Testaccio mm. and owns a little gelateria. And he's kind of like the like the what you imagine an old kind of crotchety gelato shop owner. He's like, <laughs> he's wearing like the thin like undershirt that you can still kind of see through, and his hair looks like Einstein, and he's got like okay. five days of stubble.
1: Adorable.
0: And he's kind of like a little he's a nice guy, but he's a little soup Nazi esque. Okay. Where like if you order two flavors of gelato that don't work together, he's just like, <laughs> no. And he'll grab something that does go together, and you don't get a Like you don't argue with him because that's just how, that's how Armadino is. Well, that's what you want. But he said that when he went to him, he's like, Hey, I got this, this idea. I want to do this food tour thing. It's going to be real cool. He goes, why in the hell would people pay you to come to my shop? They could come here and pay less. I don't get it. Like whatever you young kids. And he's like, I promised you in a year I'll be your best customer. And so like he had to, it was the other way around rather than being paid by, the shops that he's giving tours to, he had to convince them to let him come in with a group. Yeah. So, oh, wow. but he's done really well, and it it's, like it's fun. But I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of food tours as long as they're not getting that little kickback of like, bring them here, we'll give them some crap. Oh no, so.
1: I went on this. So um, one of my friends, Peter Barrett, who is like, you gotta follow Cook Blog on Instagram.
0: Okay, Cook Blog. So done good. doing it now. Cook
1: Blog. Okay. So he studied uh, cooking in Rome. Uh, he was at the Art Institute and they studied cooking, he went all the markets, he did all the So for 20 years since, he, um, he's he been an incredible, he's like a gentleman farmer. He wrote the, the he basically laid out and helped create the cookbook for um, fishing, Game in Hudson, which is like... Oh, right his on. Yeah, yeah. His place. Um, yeah, he's so talented. So he said, um, there's this old castle called Civitello Ranieri, which is actually, um, it's an, it's an artist, you get a, it's like an artist, um, fellowship that they give artists all throughout the world. And it's like artists come and live in a castle and get like a, two months to, so we got to live in the castle and work with the chef Romana in her kitchen and roll out pastas and learn, and then go truffle hunting and meet, um, like, real, like, um, wheat producer. Like, we did everything. We, like, we saw Umbria. So was this,
0: like, was the intent of this trip in Umbria? Was it to, like, kind of seek out producers, or were you just kind of like, we're going to do this food thing?
1: I wasn't even there for wine at all. Oh, right on. I was there to support Peter and go on the food tour, which... To live in a castle and... Yeah, like, that doesn't a, sound terrible. And it was, like, designed so elegantly. Like, it was just incredible. And so, you know, I was, like, wearing my delicious Muji pajamas and, like, waking <laughs> up in the morning and opening the big, like... I mean, it was incredible, but I wine people found out I was there, and then suddenly I'm being directed here and here and here, and I met some people in the, other, in the next valley over. It was actually, like, some huge, like, fancy British marketing blah, blah, and they had a winery, and they... I and so I met the winemaker, and they're looking for something, some solutions in the U.S., and I was helping them talk through it. And then they said to me, like, okay, our wines are too expensive for you, but you should meet Francesca Berniki over in Orvieto. So then I'm, like, getting picked up by a van, going out to Orvieto, being invited for lunch, um, touring a vineyard, meeting Francesca, and learning about all the prostitutes that live on the roads. Do you know about this? Know. On windy roads in Italy, on truck routes? There's a prostitute on every corner, oh my really? God, oh my God. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, <laughs> but so I found- It's a found, big side note. And I found her wine. Actually, I had already found her wine having lunch in Monterque when we were trying to visit Piero della Francesca's painting of the Madonna pregnant. Mm. There's not a lot of pregnant Madonna mm, no. painted in the 17th century, I think. Um, or no, is the 16th century. Um, and so you have to go into this special viewing gallery to see the picture of the Madonna. It was incredible. So then after, we had Tagliatelle with porcini mushrooms. It was the best lunch ever.
0: I haven't eaten yet. Stop it. I know. I'm starving. <laughs> um,
1: why aren't we eating? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, at lunch, they served this wine, and we all decided at the table. And there was some really good drinkers there. Everyone was from the Pioneer Valley in Massachusetts. Which I was like, yeah, Smith College. All right. Um and everybody decided this is the best one we'd, ha- we'd had on the trip. And it was an Orvieto that I can bottle and sell to you in about a month for twelve ninety nine retail or I don't know, whatever your Wait, I don't know
0: what that is. Yeah. It'll be on your
1: list for... $47.
0: I mean, that's incredible because I was looking through a lot of your producers and you, you have these things that people don't associate like immediately when we talk about Bordeaux, everybody immediately is like, oh, okay, well, I mean, it's Bordeaux, right? It's going to be like Cabernet and yeah, yeah. it's a left bank, right bank and all that, but you, you have a Bordeaux Blanc. And I looked at some of your other line and I started thinking, I was like, okay, so here's some really small kind of lesser known areas and appellations. That, like, if you lived in these areas, absolutely people would know about them. Like you just said, you they were like, oh, you have to meet her. Let's get in a (laughs) van and we're going to trek over there. But, like, the larger market, you know, uh, uh, introducing that into a larger market, how does that, like, pan out? I mean, is there a risk of, like, kind of overwhelming the producers in those areas when you, like, kind of launch it into, like, oh, now you can buy... Your wine in New York, and California, and all these other states, Indiana. Well,
1: actually, a lot of these production, a lot of people, their productions are like a million bottles. Mm-hmm. What do they do with a million bottles? I mean, this Orvieto producer has a big business in China. Okay. I and mean, they're pretty sophisticated. And also, like, I was at the Rome airport, and they were like, okay, do you want water or wine with the meal? And I was like, is it the same price? <laughs> I know. And they're like, yeah.
0: The first time I traveled overseas, like on uh, whatever, European airline, they were like, oh, and here's your glass of wine. And I'm like, I already love European airlines. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, when we were with uh, Lorenzo Costatini and Frascati um, a couple of years ago, who's yeah. like trying really hard to kind of oh, rebrand Frascati because oh, like there's the old guard that's like, we just need to make as much as possible so we can pay our bills. And he's like, no, 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 we need to limit yields. We need to do all these great things and make make better wine, guys. He's like, he's about our age. Yeah. And oh, they wanted- it's, it's drawn some lines. Like, there's, like, him and his uncle don't really talk anymore yeah. because even though their vineyards are separated by, like, a barbed wire fence, that's it. But, but um, he lowered his yields. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's, like, a handful of, of younger What's producers. His, his name is Lorenzo Costatini. Costatini. Uh, Costatini. And, um, and, but he was telling me about, like, the numbers. He's like, yeah, we n- hardly anybody here, like like, of the older guard anyway. He's like, they don't. They don't bother with export because they don't need to. There's ninety percent of our sales, we just drive twenty minutes into Rome and you know, they sell yeah. it a la spina, right? Well, I was so just like it's Rome, all in Rome
1: and I said and they were treating me like you know, I didn't I don't speak very I speak French, not Italian. And I just looked at the maitre d'. He's put wine down in front of me and I tasted it. And I looked at him and I said, frascati? And he said, S- si, bueno, like good job. Like, and <laughs> right. I knew, I was like, okay. But it's really the cheap white wine of Rome.
0: Right, yeah, and it was in such a beautiful area, but yeah, they're just historically have not been known to no. crank out quality, but we had a really great time uh, hanging out with him and his uh, beautiful wife, Fulvia while we were there last time. And... Have
1: you been to Vin Italy? Um, or vanility, I have, we
0: call n- it. I, oh, yeah, right. I know vanilla. Vanility. vanility. No, I have not. Um, I, I look at the pictures every year from because oh. um, my friend uh, Marco Cicchini is always there. So. Well, what
1: it's like is like um, eight Costco's put together. No, and really? in Every Costco. Yeah. It's That's like,
0: what the pictures look like too. Yeah, it's like
1: not beautiful, but it's fun. Um, but it's every every one of those Costco buildings is like one or two regions. Oh like wow Every producer from, And so you have The Piedmont room You know Like where everyone Wants to be <laughs> well, I was like the yes <laughs> yeah. I
0: like the Piedmont room Already <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know. Well you know I have friends Who um, only drink Nebbiolo That's a, a, an adorable Quirk with this Group of friends Of mine well, so, it's interesting
0: yeah. you mentioned, well, it's, I don't know, we've gone off on a tangent. Uh, I was already tangent. warned by, like, your your handlers today yeah, that, handlers. like, that you can go off of topic. And I was like, great, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> so,
1: attention Deficit Because so disorder. do we. <laughs>
0: I know, right? But you <laughs> were talking about your feminist wines and all that. And yeah. immediately I was thinking about um, my friend Sylvia Altare from Elia Altare oh, yeah. and how, like, Sylvia really has to kind of, like, Go to bat all the time because she's a female winemaker in a very male-dominated yeah, yeah, yeah. country and definitely business um, in Italy. And and so uh, tell me a little bit more about this like project you've got working with your feminist wines. That you're well,
1: I mean, okay, so. I mean, since most people are listening um, audibly, they can't see the packaging necessarily. So everything is like... We'll
0: make sure we get some pictures up on our Instagram feed. You can look at it on there.
1: Yeah, everything is like streamlined and white labeled and and British bank font and like a charcoal font, like really excellent like um, serif writing. And it's just very clean. And um, so I do attribute the grower and I do sign the bottom of the bottle. But I noticed that all my growers are men and that's just because... um, That's just how it's come to pass in my first five wines, or four wines, sorry. So the fifth wine, I said, I don't want, like, all men all the time. Like, come on, there's plenty of women. I mean, not only do women, like, you always go to these little wineries and, like, oh, I do the, you know, basically I'm out on the tractor, my wife's in the office. And I'm like, well, I'm sure she's pruning on the, you know. Right, yeah. Like, she's doing stuff for the wines and, you know, especially smaller places, like, the women are doing plenty of things, but they get no recognition whatsoever. So, um, and then it's like, not only are they, um, doing all this work and ne- not get, but they're making the next gen, like they create the winemakers. Like, why don't they get any credit? So anyway, so, um, in France, it's very, um, atypical to get married anymore. It's, um, it's like the marriage rate is like destroyed. And I actually applaud that, but, um, I know, um, so Sophie Siadou is my winemaker for the Valençay. Her husband is Francis Jourdain, and the estate is Francis Jourdain, of course, right? I mean, that's his family, and is the male, and he inherited, and blah blah blah. But she's she deserves all the credit too. So um, I'm able to use her name, and it's the same as Francesca Bernicchi. I can use her name. She does everything for this estate. But the, uh, na- the name of the estate, the Castello di Corbara, where I'm buying the Morvieto, is owned by like some people in Rome, some rich zillionaires, and she reports to them, but she handles everything on the estate. So whether or not the wine is organic, or how it's farmed, is her decision, and it always has been for like 18 years. So like, but her name is nowhere to be found. So I'm giving her a name. But I just wanna, if anybody's like a budding female wine professional, my biggest advice is like, do whatever you can to work for yourself. Do not work for the man anymore I'm done no offense you're a man and I respect you and I'm sure you need employees and people work for you but ultimately be careful when it comes I mean if you're a woman in the business like there are so many like the entire RNDC or Southern Wine and Spirits like like mantra is to like keep the woman down and keep her pouring vodka and showing how, off her boobs. I can't tell you how and everything. I'm
0: not going to like call any like distributorships out particularly but I remember like so I came up in sports bars right yeah and um <laughs> It was really good, I guess, training on how to like not do things and then also like just kind of the logistics of operating a high volume kind of place. You don't learn much about cocktails or, or wine. <laughs> we had like the one bottle of like, I don't know, the giant magnum of cab that was like opened and then set on the shelf open right. for like a year and a half. And you're like, uh, are you sure? It's like the pickle jar or pickled egg jar. Like, are you sure you want that wine? It's been open for two years. Mm-hmm. but um. But the reps that would come in because it was always the beer reps with like the little like baby doll tees or whatever. It's like we're gonna buy what we're gonna buy. You don't have to try to like sell. Sex you up, right? Uh, exactly. We, we were
1: s- listening to the song right now. It really oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you up. yeah.
0: Yeah, you don't need to sex us up. It was like we're yeah. just we're gonna buy what we need to buy. It was like that. Your little like <laughs> you know, and it and, and it would and it get as the industry, I think, changed a lot, and you really needed to know your products, some a lot of companies, not only that are still having a hard time, but, I mean, they've always kind of classically had a hard time because, you know, you hire the 21-year-old that'll wear a small, tight T-shirt and shorts or whatever. Mm. That's not going to sell to me because I need to know, like, oh, cool, um, so you have this really interesting Amaro. Right. Can you tell me some of the botanicals and, like, the process? That And they just are like, uh. Yeah, well, that's a pretty bitter. cliche. I mean, the yeah. thing
1: I face in, like, New York or San Francisco, like where you get like, or Indianapolis, um, the most sophisticated like- <laughs> <thing>. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. There you go. <laughs> I was just complaining earlier. It's like, we're not all San Francisco and, uh, and yeah. New York.
1: But like, there is these like uber liberal, like tatted up um, <laughs> sommeliers that are hyper misogynist and like, they don't even know it. They think they're like liberal and open minded, but they, like, they treat women like shit. And I see it all the time. Like. I think I just I see a lot of women working underneath the like big kingpin you know it's like fucking break out and come 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 talk to me we'll figure you out like there's a lot of insights out you know like why didn't anyone think of this in the twelve ninety nine market like why wasn't anyone everyone wants to compete in the like the $60 you know Chardonnay from Santa Rita Hills thing like have fun
0: yeah that, and that's the other thing too like it just perpetuates this kind of like snobbery that like it's taken the wine world so long to like get rid of that. Right. And, and, but unfortunately the, what happened in my eyes, right. So I'm, we're about yeah. the same age, like, yeah, but I did not get into the wine business as you did. Um, I was in sports bars. I was worrying about changing a TV to fucking right, right, Notre right. Dame game. Um, but Notre Dame. Yeah, well, we're in Indiana, <laughs> here. it's like you know, like every year, I I, I, college, so I remember we're... practically nothing of like the arguments that happened, although they were often Saturday, fucking college football. I couldn't stand the damn people were like, oh, what can I get my game on that TV? What are you doing? Right, right, but it right. was like USC Notre Dame every year. If you didn't have okay. that on, you would get like destroyed. So I, I would always have to ask my employees like, what what are the big games today? I don't know. But um, <laughs> but no, like as we. Kind of have learned through the course um, of time, you know, and we—I guess we didn't know what to buy at that time. And like the way that you're breaching this, yeah. um, there—we were talking about like the kind of pretension and all that, like snobbery that we—the wine world really—and. Uh, what, from what I've seen, like as I was growing up, you started to follow. It fell away a little bit with those cartoon character brands coming out, saying like, mm-hmm. "Hey, we've got a dancing animal on the bottle, and we've got this. See, we're affordable. We are, you know, we're not snobby." And then that's how those brands, I think, really blew up because it was like and they showing. Were smart. It was Yellowtail inte-
1: is smart,
0: incredibly intelligent. Yeah, but now that we're past that phase, right? Like, well, we're, are we? Well, that's... Barefoot? I, I think really? that we're heading in that direction. That's, yeah. And this is where I'm giving you some credit here. So Thanks. you just calm yourself okay, down, Mary. Boss. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, but no, like... I was kidding. So you're moving in <laughs> and you're, you've are you got that, but that. And that's why I said I think that it needs to, to branch out. I mean, I don't yeah. know of a lot of people out there that are like, I want to do... I want to be in that, like, market to bridge that. Because yeah. I think the... It's I haven't never heard this. It's hard to you know, not be like, I know all these things about wine and I want to show you how amazing I am and how amazing the wines that I can bring in are instead of attacking it. Like there's some really good wines out there for super affordable prices.
1: And they're all going towards the wave of modernity. So like if Orvieto starts being like, oh no, we're Pinot Grigio. (laughs) Like that would suck if Frascati called itself Pinot Grigio because like that's all the dumb... American market could understand that would be sad, and I want to get in the way of that and stop people from that's themselves. a much more
0: elegant way of like <laughs> putting it. I was like reaching for my words there, but that's what that's what I was trying to get at. Like, by doing what you're doing and labeling the way you are, um, and at the price point, that's it's, it's absolutely insane that you can get it onto like grocery store shelves and, and at yeah. that price point because. If I was scroll, uh, strolling through an aisle and I just needed to grab something to make the family happy or whatever, and I wanted to like not bring home Yellowtail or whatnot, yeah. this would stand out to me because it looks like a nice bottle of I wine. Mean,
1: it's it, a notch above price point. It's not, nine, barely, it's not barely. $8.99. It's yeah. $11.99. So like, that's, a, you know, that's considerable for other people. It's a cup of people. coffee.
0: Yeah, know I mean, the difference is a cup of coffee for a well, whole bottle of wine.
1: I sweat coffee sometimes. I actually um, <laughs> make coffee at home because I don't want to spend, spend four bucks. Right, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so
0: that difference literally for just a whole bottle of wine, I think that's absolutely worth it.
1: Yeah, but, so. like, I will say, Hannaford in Maine, if you're listening, I want to sell to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I'm,
1: Kro- Kroger, I'm here. C- call me. Like, are I'm, there?
0: So yeah. are, are there other people that are, are reaching out to kind of do reach – into that uh, price point that you are, uh, with the quality that you are, that well, you've seen? I saw,
1: like I was in Trader Joe the other day up in Portland, Maine. I, I spent a lot of time in Indiana and Maine for whatever reason. Um, and I noticed they have a lot of kind of interesting brands at the lower price point. Like I, I was impressed with their selection. I don't know what, you know, I don't know if they're good, the quality, I don't know who's curating. I Maybe I'd love to hear the story in like snobby fine wine world of New York City. Like I'm not hearing about that. But I was shocked that they had, like, some stuff that looked kind of legit at, like, $8.99. And I was like, okay, well, I'd like to try all of these things and see what... But I don't see their sourcing. I see kind of gimmicky labels And normally. um, But maybe there's some... I mean, I'm not the only person that, like, can figure this out. Um, Sure. uh, I also... One thing I said before we got on on air, um, I said... I don't like the whole idea of the like roving wine like that winemaker that goes around the, the consultant that goes from like New Zealand to um, Burgundy to Oregon to blah blah blah. Like I wanna buy from people that have been there. For, like hundreds of years and understand like Orvieto is, I mean the terroir is a, it's like the land and like the people of that land, they're like buried there, they slip into the, into like, they're, they decompose into the soil, <laughs> they get reborn, like it's all like this, uh, this ecosystem with humans in it too. So like, I want to work with people, Orvietinos, I don't know if that's the right word. Uh,
0: probably not, but. Perugians, <laughs> I
1: want to work with the people that live near Perugia, which is a very cool city, by the
0: way. And, well, and again, talking like that just kind of nails in or dials in the appellation, which, you know, I I love that that's the first thing you see on your labels, like kind of exactly what you're drinking. And so that's that's a big battle, I think, to fight, especially in the United States market, um, because people we talked about that It's like, you know, practically everything's, you know, blended with something. Um, I, most people don't realize that you, you know, a California cab, you can still throw 30% of whatever yeah, else no, you want I'm in great. there, and people don't realize that. So, why would you here? Um, you know, and so breaking those barriers, because I mean, on our end of it, we often hear people come in and say, oh, you know, I only drink red. Well, that's a pretty big category. Yeah, or I'm if, a red person. You know, I'm like, oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> or so like a red, a, person, okay. a red <laughs> blend. And it's like, well, that doesn't narrow it down either. Um, so, like, yeah. I mean, that, that's a big stone yeah, to chip away at. If you're a red at. person,
1: what do you drink for an aperitif?
0: Uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> you want a
1: big red wine for your aperitif? Come on. <laughs> Don't you want to be, like, tickled by a nice champagne before you s- oh, go in? Always, always. Always bubbles.
0: Always Riesling. <laughs> yeah, I Riesling. Like I, like I said, before we got on on air, yeah, like I, somebody came over a couple weeks ago and we got into my cellar, and they were like, oh, well, you know, do you have any any reds whatsoever here? And I was like, actually, I don't think I do. I think everything in here is free slings. I'm sorry. you, like, know, you're, you like reminding a me, you're
1: reminding me of Terry Feast. <laughs>
0: oh, that's actually a hell of a compliment. Well, he,
1: I loved when he once said, I'm a white wine snob. I loved his catalog. I don't know if he still d- does them. Oh, yeah. Oh, he has them still? Oh, I used to, like, swallow up every word of his catalogs. It's so them.
0: neat, man. Uh, I, but, yeah, I just... Well, every time I meet a wine person though, like every time you talk with anybody, I mean, it's, person, well, right. you, you're constantly like, you know, what's one of your favorite varietals or in your top five? And Riesling's always up there if it's not at the top, like yeah. hey, all the master psalms I meet and all the masters of wine I meet, like I but, love Riesling. It's just so expressive of terroir. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I love it. But the general public, they hear like, oh, I don't know. It's Riesling. It's like, no, 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 it's not in the blue bottle. Don't worry about the blue bottle stuff. <laughs> like, you know, forget that. And so it's for us, it's a trick. Because it's a double-edged sword, right? Like the people that want, you know, uh, a Riesling are looking for that sweet, syrupy, mm. sugar water, blue bottle Riesling, and they want to pay like 10 bucks for it. And the people that are willing to pay big dollars for a really beautiful wine have this perception that Riesling's all this syrupy, crappy, blue bottle-like stuff. And so you end up just sitting on inventory and you can't sell it to anybody because- No, so I hear
1: you. you know. I, so I was a sommelier at- um uh, Tom Colicchio's craft bar for oh, a while. Oh, really? Where are you? Yeah, I actually had, like, kind of a... When I lived in Burgundy, I would come back for, like, four weeks, and I'd som for four weeks, and then I'd go back to Burgundy. Oh, that's kind <laughs> of cool I need money. That's when I wrote the newsletter. But, um... But, so, the Psalm there had bought, like, Austrian and German Rieslings to the point where there was, like, two pages of, like... Like, it was like, maybe 150, like, whatever, references. um, And you couldn't sell them. And I mm. actually might have the bias, too. Like... If I was going to spend $120 on a bottle of wine, I'd probably want to try to find a Eschazel. Well, you can't buy you know, that for that price, but no. <laughs> if you could, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I love, but also you're missing my, my one. My tagline is think outside the grape. Ooh. So what I do you mean only, by think
0: outside the grape.
1: Well, Riesling is Riesling is Riesling. You know, right. you have like yeah. New York state, you have all those places. Mm, absolutely. Long Island, you have... I mean, there's some... So you're referring to
0: the Appalachian and kind of the terroir of the... Yeah, like,
1: I only drink (laughs) Ertziger (laughs) Wurzgarten. Which is true. (laughs) You're so bougie. Oh, Brownenburg, Brownenburg. Yeah, no, I am bougie and I'm cheap. (laughs) I was a snowplow driver and I was like a Sotheby's wine auction cataloger. Like, so... You've run the gamut. I've run the gamut, you know?
0: Well, I I remember the first time I realized that it was a a hopeless battle to sell Riesling as I was talking to Bank out at Lotus of Siam in Las Vegas when he was still there.
1: My friend was some there in New York, Tara Clark. She's amazing. She's at um, the Beatrice Inn now. Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had, I'm not sure how many they have now. I think Penny Chudema is running the uh, wine program there now. Um, but cause bank left and opened a couple of places now. He's, I think he owns patio, but mm. I was talking to him one day and I was like, man, I'm so jealous. You have 450 reasons on the list. Like I can't even sell <laughs> three. Like I'm so jealous. And he looked at me, he's like, Oh no, I can't sell them either. I just have really kind owners yeah. that let me have this like super deep seller. He's like, we, we don't move them either. I'm like, Oh, that's mm. so terrible to hear. I, to meet,
1: I was just out in Vegas. Um, with my broker bird dog, yeah, uh, see him plugging.
0: You see, that's bird all right. Dog bird dog, dog. there we go.
1: We were in. Uh, we're gonna
0: rack up some sponsorships <laughs> in this show.
1: <laughs> we were at. Uh, we were all over the place. We're, yeah, Bouchon, uh, all uh, over.
0: I love it. that's still one of my favorite. I think it's the, like the 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 cheapest, coolest, easiest breakfast to grab because like. Everything's only open for dinner in Vegas. Yeah. Like all the nice places are only open for For dinner. So like finding a good lunch or breakfast spots impossible.
1: Yeah. Bouchon,
0: bam, done and done. Well,
1: I couldn't believe the food scene off strip.
0: Oh yeah. Oh. Chinatown especially.
1: Only Chinatown. It's insane. Edo, have you heard of Edo Tapas? Yep. Uh-huh. Oh. Amazing.
0: And last few what trips, I've been French going to a Yuda, or I'm sorry, Yui Edomoe. He used to be the chef at Kabuto.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's
0: so good. Like yeah, they kill I, I it. I checked
1: into a lot of places on Instagram. Mary Taylor Wine. I checked Mar-
0: There we go. We were going to get to that. But yeah, Mary Taylor Wine on Instagram. <laughs> well, so Bank that left Lotus, he opened okay. Chada Thai and Wine in Chinatown, but he's since right. sold it or maybe closed Where it. Where is he now? Um, he opened a little like kind of desserts place. Kind of like, um, it looks to me like maybe it's somewhat like Raku Sweets, but I'm not sure. But okay. Of course, Raku. So- a business partner of mine was uh, the chef at a by Jose Andres at uh, the Cosmopolitan. Cool. And he. I
1: love Jose Andres. Oh man, uh, I am a fanboy. He fan told Cortez, like you can sleep in my apartment. Like you, I have a place for you if you want. That dude I is he was so, so amazing.
0: Cool. When we were at the opening of one of his restaurants one time, and I didn't realize he was there, and I just put something on Twitter like, oh, "We're just kind of like checking out this new place. I love Jose Andres food," and then I'm sitting. <laughs> And I have this heavy-handed, like, kind of meaty hand just slap me on the shoulder, and I see an iPhone just kind of poke in front of my face, and like, is this you? And huh? I just hear the Spanish accent. And I kind of turn oh around, God. and I was like, oh, Chef! And he was like, How are you doing? And he's like, what? giving us these big giant hugs, and I was like, I love you so much already, and like, wow. this just nailed it, like, hammered it home. I'm
1: just, like, so impressed.
0: It's so, a fun. It's he's a.
1: Like a He's like a He's a legend And he
0: just got nominated For a freaking Like Nobel Prize Nobel Peace Prize Shut up Yeah because of all this work with Puerto Rico um, And and World Food Kitchen Okay I need to Here's a fun little story though And I don't don't always Tell my personal stories But so that trip It was the opening I think we were in Vegas And it was the opening Of Chino Poblano and so uh, my restaurant had just opened here. It was a dumb time to go on a vacation. I'm and like, when you
1: say your restaurants, because we're sitting in the now. Okay, we right have now. several.
0: I'm sorry, not this one. My Thai restaurant. And the name? Siam Square.
1: Siam Square.
0: And I okay, had, I we had gone there. out of town like three months after it opened, which was kind of dumb, but we were like, screw it, whatever. Let's take a break because we're going to kill people if we don't. So we go out there and... He's chatting with us for a moment, and then he's like, oh, sorry. And you can kind of, out of the corner of my eye, I could see that sort of some friends came in to just say hi. Hmm. And so they, they went out to kind of hang out in the little foyer at the Cosmopolitan chat or whatever. At that time, I get a phone call from my manager, so I grabbed it, and it's a huge debacle. I accidentally mm-hmm. had forgotten to take the wine cellar key off of my key ring, and I'm like <laughs> I have some from history. Indianapolis all the way into you know Las Vegas, and I have no oh, way of fine. getting the key back. And so I'm like... Shit, do I FedEx it overnight? Like, how do I get this key back? Do we just break into it and worry about the repair later? Um, and so I go out to the front to get away from the noise of the restaurant to do this. And as I, as I walk out, I kind of see uh, Chef Andres with some of his buddies just standing there talking. And I, I win. I finish my phone call. So as I'm walking back into the restaurant, um, Jose Andres was like puts his hand up, and he's like, eh. Ed, high five. Mm. And I'm like, wow, all right, we're on a first name basis. This is kind of cool. So I high five him, but I never really, I could feel the other eyes glaring at me like, who the fuck is Ed? And so I never, I I didn't even look at the entourage at that point because I felt (laughs) really small. Like, I don't belong hanging out with his friends. So I went in and we paid our bill. And then a half hour fucking later on Instagram, man, I saw him tweet a picture. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Instagram on Twitter. I saw him tweet a picture out of him with Ferran Adrià and Juan wow. Mari Arzak. Oh, and I was like, right that fucking couldn't have been, been them. I
1: never went to B- El Bulli. Did you?
0: No, I know, and that sucks. But oh, our my chef at Black Market actually recently went to Arsac and I'm like, fuck you. But so I wasn't even sure. I haven't
1: been to San Sebastian. I, and I'm I, going. I rationalized
0: the whole story by like saying, like, well, maybe it wasn't them. Like, I mean, there was a half hour in between. Maybe he met no. up with them later. And then a buddy of mine that was a pastry chef at the restaurant next door, he was like, oh no, it was them because <laughs> we ended up making. A dessert course for, for Ron, and we played nine of them and out one. We were too nervous. There's
1: douchey chefs and cool. By the way, Todd English, you still owe me $350. I reminded you when I saw you at LaBernadette. Do you remember that embarrassing moment? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's like douchey chefs and there's cool chefs. There's douchey psalms, totally. douchey wine business, and cool. And so, and I don't mean cool like you're cool because you're hip or you're like relevant or you're like. I just think that humble and mm. kind and earnest. You know, I'm not the coolest person in the world. Like, I'm a geek. I'm like from Massachusetts. I look like Nancy Pelosi. Like.
0: <laughs> you do not look like Nancy Pelosi. I do a
1: little with this haircut, no. I just oh, haircut.
0: You, she's got a new haircut, so I'm yeah, just feeling very self conscious about it.
1: You know, when you it, it looks a haircut. nice. All
0: right. um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I think that's what we're always I like constantly. Nancy it's hard a lot. to not sound like a pretentious ass when you know a lot about a certain thing and yeah. so you always have to constantly try to like not talk overheads and like right. I mean we try to do that on the show but it's sometimes it's hard cuz we spend our whole life learning about these things and you know we want people to learn and sometimes it can be very off-putting Yeah. You get that reality check every now and again you're like so what grape is in here and you're like right back to the oh, beginning. Oh, I love
1: it. And I'm always like pouring wine. People are like, "Oh, I don't actually like it. It's sour." People say that to me all the time. I'm like Okay, like I want to hear that. Like I want to know. Like you're a, a person coming from a locale I don't know. I don't. I'm not familiar. I want. This is like market research. Every weekend I'm pouring wine at like a retail shop, like somewhere, all over the country. You know, I mean I'm. I've just started working on like Denmark and England. Like we're trying to be all over the place. You know. I can't wait to be in Shanghai. Shanghai. I'm That's going to I- be fun. Yeah.
0: Well, I know you've so, got an event here shortly. Yeah. It will, you, we can find you where on Instagram?
1: Mary Taylor one.
0: Is that uh, <laughs> do you use Twitter or any of that stuff or.
1: Um, I have that thing that like, like pushes it out to yeah, twitter yeah yeah yeah. But yeah facebook mary taylor wine there you all go. of it mary taylor uh,
0: what's wine. The, w- the website's mailer taylor wine
1: mary Taylor. Oh, no no website is mt.wine i have a dot wine I'm that's only- cool people are like dot wine.com i'm like no, no no just dot wine mt.wine
0: i was on the website it's super cool because there's actually a lot of information about the wines on there and that's a big pet peeve of mine when you are trying to find out some information about something you saw and you can't get it like
1: our website was written by Zach Sussman, who is uh, the rotor wine journalist of the year uh, he's absolutely talented and we're so grateful and we're all um, he's an NYU um, creative writing uh, pr- teacher and like everyone in our company we're, we're very proud New York University people man this <laughs> so, has been a
0: fun interview um, yeah. I, I, I hope to see you back in market soon yeah um, because I'll be you, here. you got a lot of energy you're all over and I love that because it's we get to learn a lot about like more than just hey I make you know this label of wine and please buy it like it's there's a lot of really cool stories here
1: yeah there's a lot to talk about and there's so there was just an article in the New York Times about um, Basilicata and I urge you to read that um, it's all about the soul of a place that was always poor but now like it's become it's the new Capri kind of thing like there's like And it's just, please read that. I mean, it's the things we want to preserve are like the the footsteps of like the the people that came before us all over the world, you know? I mean, there should be things that we want to preserve in like Kenya and like all over the world. And so let's not just uniform and stop drinking like just dumb Merlot and Pinot Grigio, you know, like there's so much, I I love Merlot, but I don't like Merlot just like as a uniform, it's like cow milk. If you called all cheese cow milk, we'd live in a shitty world.
0: Absolutely. Let's circle back around at the beginning if you've lost that reference. But yeah, get that get it. Because it's yeah, everything trying. that you've said today is completely relevant and I think it does break down those barriers of that snobby asshole douchey psalm that rolls his eyes at you when you you know.
1: Yeah, like I think there's a market for that. I think there's a like super fine Sure. You know, people that can live in San Francisco and New York and pay those rents. Uh, Good for them, but you not know? everybody
0: starts off like that. You like, you have to learn. There no, has to be a bottle somewhere, ever want right? To get there. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, it's not something to strive to be the asshole.
1: Like to get a vinegary like um, wine that tastes like a nail polish remover and pay like hundred and eighty dollars Like, what is this? You know, like we don't need it. We need 12, $12.99. You know, if you don't. Max out your 401k and you have any credit card (laughs) debt. You will not spend more than $15 in a bottle of wine. Please don't, you know,
0: Keep it cheap. Do you have any particular uh, brands that you would recommend? <laughs> Mary Taylor wine. It was a joke. I'm yeah, i <laughs> um, Well, so before we wrap up, we always yeah. ask everybody one one final question. Do you okay. happen to have uh, uh, any hangover cures hanging around? In that, uh, I mean, you've been traveling the world. You've lived in France. You travel a bit, and so.
1: Well, I have like I've. Um, you live I have in one of the great pre-game. drinking cities of the world. Well, is it a
0: pregame thing? We're hearing a lot more of that.
1: Don't drink. Gin. Sorry, I like gin a lot. I, I think it's delicious, but um, but I'm always miserably hungover. Um, no, I, I don't. I, I lay in bed when I'm hungover, and um, I don't really go anywhere. Um, actually, I learned one thing. If you take a walk, just get up and take a walk, it tends to move through your body. But I don't think wine... Like, my wine's... This entire interview, I've been sitting here drinking. Like, I'm on my sixth <laughs> glass of wine. I think,
0: cumulatively, we're at least a bottle of wine down now. Yeah, oh, excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to feel fine tomorrow. I have to get up at five for my flight back to New York. No health
0: claims were made. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's just the mixing. If sure. you get, like, a cigarette or something, like, you're fucked. But just keep it, keep it to wine or... You know, but no, but, but definitely blend your, mix your wines. Always have like a champagne and then a white when you start and a red and the da-da-da. Keep going. Keep trying new flavors. Like don't think you have to drink one thing all night. Like that's lame. Anyway, that's it.
0: That's Any it. Drink questions? more wine. Drink a varied group of, of wine and that'll, that'll take or care of your if hangover. Or you're drinking liquor that <laughs>
1: night, like have you know what? I have one thing I have to oh, say before we right, go. all right. I knew a guy and his, and I I've used this. So when you're going out to like a thing with people you haven't seen in one, like, I don't know, there's just, you know you're going to like over drink because you feel awkward and you got to go somewhere. I'll start with a martini.
0: Mm, or always, some kind,
1: Yeah. Start with a martini and get that like the buzz, like get that like craving buzz thing like taken care of so that you're like, oh, I feel pretty good. And then your like next drink, you can like ease into wine or you could just have like, a wine or a beer. And maybe you have one or two drinks. Like, I actually, every time I do that, I have three or four drinks max. And I feel amazing in the morning.
0: Yeah, I always try to, like, look for the kind of low proof. Like, if I... I wouldn't say necessarily low to start. I might do like a 50-50 martini, so there's a little bit less. It's not like the straight gin. Or like, and I like to finish with a glass of vermouth so that I don't, you know, I'm not getting completely lit on that final cocktail because it's the final one that always gets you. Like, all right, I'll stay for one more. (laughs)
1: Only one martini ever. Never have two. Oh,
0: ever. I don't know if I can get behind that one.
1: Oh, I don't believe in more than one. Okay. <laughs> All, right.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to like catch up with you again next time you're in market. Um, I'd love this to. Will be I think I'm going to do
1: like three weeks in May. Let's do it. And do a whole Indiana like. I'm gonna go deep in India. Let's fucking road
0: trip it. Let's just get in a car and let's go. Let's do it. I'll go with you. I'm
1: so excited to hear this. That would be fun. I wanted like I need to hike and bike and kayak and do wine the whole time.
0: There's a lot of cool places to do all the above. When you mentioned the hangover cure, I remember the worst hangover I think I can remember to the last 12, 13 years. Uh, I had committed to a really long hike um, before I went out drinking the night before (laughs) with my wife, and it was uh, it was a much longer trail than I thought we were getting on. I think it ended up being about six and a half miles and I was miserable for about three of them. But after that, I felt fantastic. I was like, wow, this is a, it's a very torturous way to get rid of the hangover, but it's a quick way, you know?
1: And suddenly three miles in, all the insights.
0: Yeah, all the insights. If you're looking
1: for a business idea and you need help, call me.
0: (laughs) Well, cheers to you. And hey, we'll see you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you.